Hey, if you have your Bible, turn. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 7. We've been going through what is called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's the first book of the New Testament. There should be a Bible if you don't have one under one of the seats near you. And if you're here just kind of checking out Christianity and uh, seeing what this is all about, there's a little bookshelf in our foyer that has Bibles and other Christian resources. Please check that out and pick up anything that you find interesting. It is our gift to you. We're just really glad that you are here this morning. So we're going to be looking at just a couple verses. Last week we just looked at one verse. This week we're just looking at two, and at this pace we'll be done with Matthew and 2047, but uh, I promise we'll be speeding it up. But these two verses are just really significant. And uh, last week we kind of concluded what I think was the body of the Sermon on the Mount with uh, what is often called the golden rule. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. It all hangs on that. That's the motivating factor behind the law and the prophets. And now he moves into kind of some warnings, some challenges, some choices that he gives to wrap up this sermon. Yogi Berra, you guys know who Yogi Berra is, or am I going to date myself with that? You know, he's full of Yogi Berra-isms, things that he would say that would just be crazy-sounding. And this is one of his sayings. He says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So I'm thinking, okay, what, what, where did this come from? So I did a little research, and, and basically Yogi's house, I think, was in a cul-de-sac, and when he would give directions there, you could get to his house either way. So he said, when you come to the fork in the road, just take it, you'll get to my house. But somehow this has become, you know, it's like, okay, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. I don't really know which way to go, so it doesn't really matter. But despite Yogi's advice, there are times in life when we have to choose. And our choices make a difference. Some are not that significant. When you go to El Asador behind the Shell station, you have to make a choice, right? Asada or pollo, right? Which, which do you want with your taco there? Vanilla or chocolate, these are not really that significant choices. They don't determine the course of our life, but there are others that are a little bit more important that we are required to make. If you're maybe graduating from high school, it's like, okay, do I go to trade school? I go into the military, do I go to college? And then if you go to college, it's like, what's gonna be my major? Chemistry, English, art, math, what? Ever, and those generally have consequences that are a bit more enduring. And then you're dating somebody, and then if you're going to ask that person to marry you, and then if you're the person on the receiving end of that proposal, it's like, will you marry me? Then there's a choice there, and there's just a binary choice, right? It's just yes or no. I guess you could say maybe, but the maybe is kind of a no in that circumstance. So... You know, that's, that's a big choice, and that's a choice that is going to have consequences well into the future. And in our culture, I think people are more and more uncomfortable with making choices or making commitments, right? And I think the reason for that is we have just so many options now, right? And so we can go online and research. It's like, oh, do I make this choice or that choice? And you look at the Amazon reviews, and there's seven reviews that are five stars. And then you read those reviews, and nobody seems to be able to speak English correctly. And you're like, oh, I think these were planted there. And then it just gets really hard. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this blender or not. I just can't make a choice. It's stressing me out, right? 
And then in choosing a life partner, it's like, okay, is this the person for me? And then there's FOMO that comes in. And before, when you're growing up, you're in a town and they're just the people around you. And it's like, okay, am I going to marry Susie or am I going to marry Beth? That's the only choices I have. But now we can get on a dating site that is not only nationwide, but worldwide. So the choices never end. And so we have a hard time making them because we don't want to make the wrong one. And I think this is especially true in the area of religion or spirituality. Our culture is really cynical about any truth claim that may come. And it's just so hard. We're living in a world that is very multicultural, and there's all these different pathways to God supposedly out there, so I just don't know which one to make. And so I'm just going to choose the most popular view right now is agnosticism. I, I just don't know, right? So I'm just going to float kind of through life. And one of the reasons I think agnosticism is so popular because it doesn't force me to change anything about my life, right? I can just be me. I can just do what I want to do, and everybody is fine with that. Jesus, unfortunately, doesn't allow people to stay spiritually agnostic when he speaks with them. We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus isn't like, well, you know, whatever. You know, you do you. That's not how he ends this. He's not giving us a Yogi Berra answer at the end of the sermon, but he is challenging his listeners to make a choice. As I've said before, when it comes to Christianity, there is no spiritual Switzerland. There's not neutrality about Jesus that he allows. He forces people to face him and make a decision for or against. And so that's where we pick up in the Sermon on the Mount, and I've entitled this message, So What You Gonna Do? Because I think Jesus is kind of that bold in the face of those people, so what you gonna do with what I've just taught you. So let's read verse 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy or broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard or narrow that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is a reading of God's word. So Jesus confronts his hearers with a choice here. And the choice is inescapable and the options are few that he gives. And in doing this, Jesus is kind of following along with a lot of other prophets in scripture and how God has dealt with his people all along going all the way back to the garden, right? You got a choice. You got two trees. What are you going to eat from? Then, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 30, this is Moses. Starting in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and death, good and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways 
and by keeping his commandments and all his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. We see also in Joshua 24, that famous thing, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You choose what you want, but we're going to serve the Lord. So another choice, you serve the Lord or you don't, and it's a binary choice between two ways of life. Psalm 1 Give us two choices in the ways that we're going to travel. We can be with those that are evil or we can pursue God and his word and the end result is good in one case and disastrous in the other. Jeremiah 21.8 says this, I've set before you the way of life and the way of death. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, you can stay in Jerusalem, it's going to be invaded, or you can leave and you will be okay But there's a choice that is coming, and you need to make it. In Proverbs, we see a choice between following lady wisdom or lady folly. Who are we going to follow? So Bible often confronts us with the fact that we got to make a choice, and that choice is inescapable. Jesus here says, enter by the narrow gate. It's a command, and I can either obey this command or I can reject this command. And there are only two options that Jesus gives. We don't like that, right? We live in a country where there's 500 different ways that I can get my coffee, right? And different additions to that coffee. There's a hundred different cereals when I go into Publix to choose from, right? I want a myriad of choices, and when it's narrowed down to just two, I don't like that, but that's what Jesus does. He says there's two paths or two ways here. One is broad and wide or spacious, and the other is small and narrow. And some of your translations will have one is hard and one is easy. The Broadway is easy. And you'll read certain translations and like the NIV and the NASB will have kind of all of it related to the narrowness of the path and won't have hard or easy in there. And I think that's probably the best way to take this, that both of these words that are used in this section are dealing with kind of size of things and they're a spatial dimension. But the rec- reality is that a narrow way is always harder, right, to walk on. There's, there's a broad way, and it's easy, and there's no obstacles. The narrow way, it's, it's harder to stay on that path. So I know why translators go in that way. But Jesus is saying, basically, there's two ways to go. One is, is the broad way, and one is the narrow way. And it's interesting, um, there's a little bit of a textual difference in a lot of manuscripts here. And for the Broadway, some don't even have a gate included. 
It says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Some translations just early manuscripts would just say, the way is easy and broad that leads to destruction. So there's no gate at all. And both of these have evidence on their side. And I kind of like without the gate because I think the reality is that our default position is to be on that broad, easy, wide way. We don't really have to choose to be on that way. It's not a gate that we have to enter into. It's just, eh, I'm just going to go with the flow, right? The path of what we call least resistance. And that's, I think, where we find our culture today. Just do what you want to do, right? And this is kind of a unique thing in the world. Typically, in most other cultures, in most religions, people recognize that there's parts of us that are not so good that should not be expressed all the time. But we live in a day and age now where it's like, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm into, I just need to follow that because that is being true to myself. There's no challenge to looking at some of the stuff in my own life and saying, you know, this is not probably the healthiest way to live. This is not the way that my life is going to flourish. But it's what I like, right? It's what at the moment is the path of least resistance. And then Jesus says there's another way. It's the small gates or the narrow gates and the narrow way. It's, it's not the way that most people go. And I think this narrow gate, it's interesting, in King James it says it's the straight gate. And uh, the straight word there is probably from the Latin strictum, which means constricted or restricted. So it's not that the gate is straight, but it's, it's restricted. And I think that's really interesting to look at. It's like, where do we enter into this road? One, there may not be any gate at all, but if there is a gate, it's really broad, right? You can drive through that sucker with your 18-wheeler bus that you've converted into your luxury motorhome, right? And nobody's going to bother you. You just do your thing. You go your way. You don't have to leave anything behind. You can get in there with all of your baggage. You just haul it all along with you. Everybody's going in that path. like, man, we're good. Isn't it wonderful to be on this way? I'm just going to sit in my hot tub, soak, and smoke some weed, and life is going to be really good, right? But then the narrow gate. I think this is a gate where we can't bring everything we want to bring with us. We've got to, in essence, be willing to leave our sin, to turn from that, to to leave our self-righteousness, to leave our pride to come to Christ and say, this is what I am, and I don't have a lot, but I'm giving you my all, and if it requires it, Lord, I'm willing even to to give up my family or my friends or even my life to follow you. That's pretty narrow. I'm not bringing a lot with me in through this narrow gate. And we don't like that, right? So we'd rather remain on the broad, easy, spacious, downhill, wind at my back, everybody around me saying, yeah, you do you, yeah, loving what you're doing. Yet Jesus says the choice that we make to enter into the narrow gate has lasting consequences. That even though we 
may be applauded by those around us. That's the end of Romans 1 where, man, they're just applauding you even for the sinful choices you've made. Why? Because that means that there's not going to be any negative consequences for the sinful choices they make. You do you, I'll do me. It's an awesome way to live. So if you've chosen to enter in through the narrow gate onto the narrow way, don't expect a lot of applause and kudos from people around you. Jesus, it's interesting, he calls himself the way, right? John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He also says he's the door or the entrance into the kingdom. So it is very narrow. It is very restrictive. We come and we come only through Christ and we live then on this narrow pathway that is aligned with Christ and what he's been just outlining in the sermon. This is the way that you're to live if you're part of my kingdom. This is my expectation of a life lived in following me. And man, that is a narrow way. It's more challenging and difficult, isn't it? Don't store up for yourself all sorts of possessions. Trust the Lord and don't focus on that. It's like, whoa, that's really counter our culture, right? My culture says grab as much as you can, rise as high as you can, step on as many people as you can if you need to to get to the top because that's where life is found. You get there and you may become an American oligarch and you may have a $600 million yacht somewhere. That's what life is. And if you choose Jesus' way and say, no, a man's life or a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions, the world's going to say, what? That's not what I want to be about. I like a lot of shiny stuff. And the world is saying, Life is found in sexual fulfillment in any way that you choose that. And Jesus is saying, no, I even want the heart of your hearts to be connected in purity with me. And God's standard is purity within marriage, and we don't like that at all in our culture. And it's easier to go that way, right? I don't have to battle with those parts of me that want what God says, that's not the narrow road. So I'm just going to go with the flow. As we enter the narrow way, we recognize that we're not the center. We don't make the decisions on the path. Jesus is the one that is the path, and I follow him. I don't set my own course. I am not captain of my fate. I am not master of my own destiny. I have a master, and he is the one that determines the direction of my life, and I'm called to accept that. Jesus says there's only a few that enter in that way. Is Jesus implying here that only a few people will be saved? It's interesting that Jesus was asked that exact question. In Luke 13, 34, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus didn't say yes or no. He said basically I want you to focus on where you're going. Strive to enter through the narrow gate or door. 
As we look at the world around us, I think we can say generally, if you look at a culture, the majority of people in that culture are really not seeking to follow Jesus in terms of a life that's characterized kind of by the dictates of the Sermon on the Mount. You look at polls in our country and it'll say, oh, 70, 80% of our country is Christian, right? But then you ask a little bit deeper questions. Okay, do you ever go to church? Do you ever pray? Do you ever fellowship with other believers? You know, and that percentage drops to between 7 and 10% in most of the polls that I see. So I think generally as believers, we are going to be in the minority. And to me, that has implications for how we relate to culture. And I think we're coming out of a time that's kind of a, an anomaly in history in terms of how Christians were treated in a culture. But now we're moving into a, a culture that increasingly is hostile to Christianity. See, when I became a Christian, Christians weren't thought of as evil. We were just thought of as weird. And I have friends that would look at me and say, why are you wasting your life to be a pastor? This is like, man, you had potential, but now you're just throwing it all away. But I still hung out with them. They didn't say, Brett, you're evil. But now we live in a culture where being associated with God and Jesus and the Bible is thought of not only as weird, but evil and wrong. And... It's challenging to live in this culture, right? And I think one of the lessons from that is we just have to develop a little bit thicker skin here in our culture. To recognize that, you know, for most of world history, Christians have not been in the majority. And the Judeo-Christian ethic did not dictate the ethics of the land. And I think we're in that culture right now. So I'm not to expect applause from other people when I walk through this life if I'm going to walk with Jesus but are few going to be saved? And I looked at this and was like, wow, you, there's different passages that seem to indicate different things. Jesus says, look out at the harvest. It's plentiful, but the workers are few. And then Revelation 7, 9, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language were gathered there to worship Jesus. So I think Generally, at a particular time, in a particular culture, the minority of that culture is going to be Christians, but you bring us all together throughout time, there's going to be a whole truckload of us there to worship the Lord. So don't expect applause or appreciation for choosing Jesus and the way of his kingdom in our culture right now. Jesus is just saying, you're, you're going to be in the minority. And he warns his disciples over and over, hey, if they didn't like me, they're not going to like you. If they persecuted me, they're probably going to persecute you. If they think I'm weird, they're going to think you're weird. And he just warned about that in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And so he's warning his followers that, you know what? You're, you're going to live in a place that sometimes is oftentimes blowing with contrary winds. And you need to learn to stand against that with me. To walk the narrow path. But as we're walking this path, I think Jesus would say we need to focus on the destination. The path is not an end in itself. It's a way to get to the destination. And he gives two destinations here that these paths are going to lead to. The broad way, the easy way, the downhill, wind at the back, don't have to do anything in life way. The end of that path is what? Destruction. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way 
is what? Death, destruction. And he says, you go by that narrow way through the narrow gate and that leads to life. To life. Ralph Waldo Emerson was famous for saying, the journey is the destination. I want to say that for a Christian, that's not true at all. <laughs> the destination is the destination, right? If you're going on vacation with your kids, right? How valid is the journey is the destination when you got three kids in the back seat saying, oh, he touched me, he breathed on me. It's like, no, Lord, get us to the destination. We want to be at the lake cabin where we can play and have some space and send the kids out there. And if you stopped midway and you got to the destination and just turned around and came back saying, we're just having such a great time, we just want to be in this journey forever. It's like, no, the destination really, really matters. In fact, that's what matters the most. And Jesus says the beauty of the narrow way is that it leads to life. For those on the broad path, to me, life is as good as it's ever going to get. And I understand if you're taking the broad path, if you're just a materialist, if all we are is just atoms and molecules put together for 70, 80, 90 years, maybe with advances in science, you'll live to 120. Great, but then what? You become worm food after that. So... Maximize pleasure, minimize pain, buy the diesel pusher super RV, and live it up. But Jesus says the end of that road is a cliff, and you're going over it. No matter how long you may be on that road, it does not end well. And if you're on the narrow path and things are tough, for the Christian, what the Lord wants us to realize is things are toughest now as there will ever be. That there's... A goal coming, and that goal is life, and even as believers, we experience that life right now. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So life consists in relationship with God, and as believers, we have that now. That's why I don't like that much the translation, the narrow way is difficult or hard or painful Yes, there is persecution along the way, but Jesus seems to promise a lot of joy to his followers. Read John 14 to 17. He talks a lot about, I want my joy to be in them. And, and John picks that up in his epistle too, as I write this so that our joy may be complete or your joy may be complete. So going the narrow way may be more difficult. That is very true. It's going to be hard sometimes to push against the flow but I think there's a joy in that way that is much greater even than the easy, broad way. Life's hard for everybody, right? Believers and unbelievers alike. But when life gets hard for me as a believer, I have assurance that God is somehow using this in my life to make me more like Jesus Christ, and one day I'm going to be home with him, and this won't last forever and in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore and that's what I'm going to. But even now I think along the way there's blessings that come from my knowing Christ. Following him. As I look back on my life, for a while in my life I wanted Jesus and the broad way. Right? I want to live on the easy way and I want to have Jesus. 
And I tried that for a while. Broadway is not as exciting as everybody says it is. It's not as exciting, at least, as the commercials make it out to be. There's some temporary pleasure in that, that's for sure, but there's a lot of pain there as well. And it was right after I graduated college that Jesus kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, hey, boy, it's time to choose. You either follow me right now or you abandon me, but don't pretend that you can walk the broad path, and love and follow me. And so, in 1985, in the summer when I was 22 and a half, I said, Jesus, I want to follow your narrow way. And there were things that I had to abandon in my life, things I had to give up, messes that I'd made that I had to apologize for. Yet, that was the best decision that God has ever allowed me to make. And he has been so faithful to me on the narrow way through all those years. Yes, there have been stumbles. It's hard to stay in that narrow way, right? And there will be stumbles. James says we will stumble in many ways as we walk this narrow path. But the point is to get back up on that path and to recognize that when we stumble, Jesus is not there saying, I condemn you, I can't believe you stumbled. But he's there to lift me up and say, acknowledge that, let me help you walk. You're not going to be able to do this without my guide, and that's the Holy Spirit. But I don't know about you, if you've ever done much hiking, sometimes the most difficult paths have the most beautiful views. You can go out to Colorado or Idaho and you can get on a big highway and drive through the mountains and there's, there's some beauty there. But getting up on a path that's hard to get up on and being next to a high mountain lake that's this beautiful azure kind of turquoise and just, it's stunning. And I think that's a little bit what it's like on the narrow way. There are glimpses periodically that God gives us that are stunning, but then we have to get back on that path, right? But we know, we know as believers that the destination is worth striving for. It's a narrow way, but it's the way of life. And Jesus basically says the choice is yours. And God's very gracious and he's very patient with us. There were years in my life where I tried to walk on the Broadway and keep Jesus a little bit in my life. But he did bring me to that point where it was like, okay, it's a fisher bait, cut bait time. You've got to make a decision. And I don't know where you are this morning with Jesus. If you're just investigating, keep pushing into it. But there's a, a point in time when you're looking at Christ and pushing into the, when the reality of it is, okay, it, it boils down to, am I just going to serve myself or am I going to serve God? Am I going to go the path of least resistance, which is doing what I want, or am I going to be willing to follow Jesus' way, which is the hard way, but to me, it's the way that will produce ultimate joy and reward in life. And Jesus doesn't twist any arms. He just says, this is how it is. Enter by the narrow gate is what he's asking us to do. And the choice is ours to make. He's just set it out and he said, okay, this is the destination. You can choose which way you will go. But I'd urge you this morning, if you're here and you're investigating Jesus Christ, choose the narrow way. It's a choice I made and I don't think that choice comes without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, but it's a choice that I made that at times it's been really hard to follow 
but it's been the most rewarding path I can think of. And I don't know where I would be if I had chosen that other path. I've got some guesses of where I would be, but I don't know. But by the grace of God, he enabled me to walk through that narrow door, which is Jesus. He's the door, he's the gate, he is the way. And he says, I'm come to give you life and life to the full. See, what our culture says is Jesus has come to rob us and rip us off. And if anybody's having any joy in their life, God wants to immediately cut that out and quash it. Oh, there's somebody down there having fun. I'm going to put an end to that right away. No, that's the evil one, the adversary. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. God has created all these beautiful good gifts that he lets us to participate in, but he wants us to say, no, you're the best gift. And I'm willing to give up and I'm willing to go through that door without any gifts saying whatever I get in life is going to be a gift from you and I recognize that and I know you're a father that gives good gifts to his children so I'm willing to trust and walk on that narrow way. I want you, Jesus, more than I want the easy way. My prayer is that you will take that way, that you will enter through the narrow gate and find life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, who your word says is the exact representation of who you are. So in him we see your grace and your compassion, but we also see your willingness to lay it on the line and say it how it is. Lord, we like things that are easy. We like to do our own thing. We like to be our own boss, be our own master, make our own choices, and that's how most of the world is operating. Yet you're calling us to a different way, a way that may seem more restrictive, but a way ultimately that will lead to life with you that goes on forever. Lord, help us to see that And if there's anyone here this morning that is wrestling with that decision, I just pray that by your spirit you would help them to enter through that narrow door, to trust in you, to be willing to admit their need for you, to admit their sin, to repent and turn to you, to take off all that baggage and their own stuff and enter in to life. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us and don't confront us with a choice. And Lord, help us to see that this confrontation is not because you don't like us, but because you love us. So Lord, help us by your spirit to choose rightly. And those of us who have entered into that narrow door, Lord, give us the strength by your spirit to stay on the narrow way, to continue to walk with you, to keep in step with your spirit as he is our guide as we walk through this life. Thank you that our destination is glorious. Thank you that this world is not all that there is. In fact, it's just a way station for our ultimate destination. So Lord, help us to live as citizens of your kingdom. Help us to put into practice these things that Jesus has laid out in this sermon so that we could find life and be an instrument, an agent of your love and life in the lives of others. Thank you for who you are, Jesus, and all that you've done for us. Lord, we give our lives once again to you. 
And it's in your precious and powerful name I pray. Amen.